the, like the best part of coming? It's, we bribed you with donuts. Donuts are good, but it's seeing other people that's the best part of church. So it is really good to have you guys here. Uh, it is a joy to be uh, on Easter Sunday today. Uh, if you don't know me, my name is Jamie, and uh, I'm one of the pastors. My wife and I co-pastor, Heidi. Uh, let me say that right so that it makes sense. My wife, Heidi, and I co-pastor. There we go. I had the words all mixed up. And she's not with us this morning. She is at home watching online, which this is a first because she really doesn't like the online thing. So, because um, our daughter Amelia is home um, and sick. She's been sick for many weeks now, and it's been a struggle, many of you know. Um, but there's a camera right back there, and I thought, wouldn't it be really cool if we all just kind of turned and shouted Happy Easter, Heidi and Amelia at the camera? Would you guys, I mean, something crazy like that, just make a bunch of noise and say hi to Heidi and Amelia at home. Happy Easter. We miss having you guys with us. Um, we, we love them, and so it's, it's hard to have them home today of all days. But I am bringing her a donut, so it'll be okay in the end, right? Because donuts cover over a multitude of sins. Uh, that's, it's, it's scriptural, I think. I think that's in the Bible, isn't it, Kathy? The book of Hezekiel or something? The donuts cover over many sins? Yeah. It's in there somewhere, I'm sure. <laughs> Well, um, I was kind of like pondering, how do you start an Easter service? And I, I thought, oh, you know, the best way to do this is probably just to shoot the breeze with you guys and talk about the weather. Don't you think? Like, when you don't know what to say, Doug, you talk about the weather. So how about that weather? Yeah. Oh, you know what? It's funny. I, I, I told this person that I wasn't going to out him, but I'm going to slightly out him. I, I was told by a reliable source that's in this room that a couple weeks ago, that that spring weather was going to stay. He said, it's going to stick around. He was wrong. It was mean. You know, we're out enjoying walks. We're like looking at the spring flowers and the daffodils are coming up and boom, it's snowing just that fast, you know. And kids are outside. The parents are going Easter shopping, right? Three weeks ago, they're buying clothes for their kids. So they're buying the little cute dresses and the little flowy. You see all the little girls doing this. It's so fun. And they're freezing because they don't have sweaters and they're wearing little strappy sandals. The birds, I had like all these spring birds in my backyard. And the other day, they're like, dude, what are we doing here? Let's get out. Like, fly away, and they're like running away and, and, and migrating, re-migrating. We got to go someplace warm. We got to get out of here. And then there's those crazy college students who are out there that are just defying winter and wearing flip-flops and shorts no matter what. Those people are just crazy. No judgment, but they're crazy. I like to call this season that we are in laughing winter, and I think you even have a picture to describe laughing winter. It's not that one. It's the next one. That one. There you go. Laughing winter. He's, it's winter laughing. He's like, ha, you thought it was going to be spring? I got you. Winter is having the last laugh. It's a funny picture, isn't it? I mean, we're just like, I don't know what to do with this. Do I laugh at that? I don't know if I laugh at that. The reason I wanted to shoot the breeze and talk about weather was because the weather this year feels oddly appropriate to Easter for me. So Easter and spring, they're kind of synonymous, right? Everywhere you go, Easter and spring, they're synonymous. The Easter eggs come out, the daffodils come out, the, the leaves you know, come on the trees, and the bunny rabbit comes out. It, we, we mix these twos up because, we mix these twos? We mix these two up because spring kind of speaks to us of new life, right? With this death of winter, and the ground is cold and hard, and there's nothing green, nothing alive, and then spring pushes its way through, 
And then we get the green leaves and the, and the grass and the hills turn this beautiful color. It's the best time in Pullman ever is that when those hills turn green, it's like, oh, I can live here again. And until like, you know, May and then they turn brown and you're like, oh, why am I here? And so you have this sense, though, of life coming out of death. So Easter and spring, they're synonymous. But then we get this weather this year, which we have this spring come up and then all of a sudden it's death again. And it feels really like my experience of resurrection and my experience of death, that they don't seem to come in the times that they're supposed to be, right? We, we talk about resurrection every Easter, but when we come to church, so many of us are still in death. When we do funerals, we, we say this statement, you know, in the midst of life, we are in death, but very often, it feels like in the midst of death, sometimes life happens. Sometimes good things happen. We, we, in the church, we celebrate and remember the death of Jesus over Holy Week. So the last week, we've been thinking about the, the, the death of Jesus, the, the road to the cross, how in, in just a day or so, like all of his friends abandoned him. He had a really close friend betrayed him. He was falsely accused. He was beaten. He was bruised. He was, he was spit at. He was crucified, and his life was taken to him from him unjustly, all in just a day. But these are experiences we experience over the course of a lifetime, and it doesn't seem to matter what season. It's Christmas, and sometimes we feel depressed. It's, it's Easter, and we feel sorrow and sadness, and we're in the midst of loss and in the midst of life. It's like laughing winter. It's laughing death. Ha ha, you thought it was over. It was finished because it's Easter Sunday. You're wrong. That's what it feels like. So the snow kind of feels appropriate to me. We in this culture don't much like to admit that that's the way life works, right? That, that it's not all just happy and not all just resurrection, not all just hope all the time. This Easter, you know, and you're probably sitting there thinking, gosh, what a downer. Like, you started a little silly, but now you're being all depressing. It's Easter Sunday, and you're supposed to be light and happy, but so hold on, I'm getting there. I'm getting there, but I just want to give us a little bit of reality check, right, for all of us. We need a little bit of reality check. We come to church on Christmas and in Easter because we like the good parts of the story. We like the birth narrative, the story of the, the, the shepherds and the magi and this good news that God came to us. We like Easter, that it's not just death, but there's resurrection and hope and life. But we have this still, this hard nine months of pregnancy before the birth. We have this season of, of Lent before the resurrection where we remember that, that death comes to us all, that pain happens, that hard things will come over and over and over again with no rhyme or no reason. Barbara Brown Taylor is, a, is a, an author and a poet, and she said this, you know, she said, I want to follow Jesus just a few days short of the cross. And that really describes this. We, we want, we like Jesus, he's a great guy, we like the idea, love your neighbor as yourself, we like the idea of giving to the poor. We, we like this idea of, of this radical, justice, loving, kind man. But we want to follow him just short of the cross. We don't want to go through the pain and the suffering. But Jesus did rise. Jesus did rise from the, death, from the dead. He went through the pain and suffering, but he did rise. And that does change everything for us. It changes everything for us. That's why we tell the story of the resurrection every year, why we read it out loud in the gathered group. That's why we started the service with it, to tell, to remember that Jesus did rise because it changes 
everything. We remember the birth of Jesus every Christmas because we want to remember and remind you God comes to us. And even in the darkest of our moments, God will show up. We tell this Easter story because even though death comes to us, that God is compassionate. He knows what it is like to be betrayed and abandoned, abused, accused, and to die painful deaths. We tell the story of the resurrection to remind us that we have been made like him, and like him, we will rise. So what does the resurrection of Jesus mean for you and me today? It's been 2,000 years. We've been talking about it for 2,000 years. We've been preaching it for 2,000 years. We've been singing it for 2,000 years. What does it mean for us here in 2022, this resurrection of Jesus, this Middle Eastern man from first century Palestine under Roman rule in a culture so far, I mean, it's like Star Wars. It's so far, far away, galaxy far, far away. How does, it, how does that one life impact us today? The, the resurrection of Jesus tells us that just like death is not isolated to one week of our lives, so too is resurrection, not isolated to one holiday a year. It is not isolated to Easter Sunday. Resurrection is not just an Easter thing. And that is such good news because we need it, don't we? We need resurrection next Tuesday, right? We need resurrection next Thursday. We need new life to come to us. We need springtime in our souls on, on a Thursday afternoon at 4 o'clock when we're looking at the clock, wondering, when can I get out of this job? Resurrection is not isolated to a few hours on Sunday morning. It is not isolated to a moment of prayer when you accept Jesus into your heart. It is not isolated to super Christians or really holy people or even just good people. It's not isolated to people who are physically dead and in the grave. Resurrection life is for all of us in all stages of our life, in every circumstance, on any day of the calendar, resurrection can come to you. That is what the resurrection of Jesus means for us today. Resurrection means that even though we experience death over and over and over again, that new life is possible. There are new possibilities on the other side of the resurrected life, on the other side of the pain that you're going through now, on the other side of the hurt, on the other side of the grief, on the other side of the loss, there is a resurrected life. The church is full of resurrection stories. It is. This church is full of resurrection stories. And we can think about it from just from Scripture, from the Bible. We can think about Jesus. He came, you know, he was resurrected, and he comes up the other side, a completely different person, yet totally the same. He is carrying scars that should rightfully still be wounds. In the resurrected life, the things that are still wounding us can become scars out of which we minister and heal others. We look at Peter, who denied Jesus just before Jesus was crucified, and he gets on the other side of resurrection life, he experiences the healing of forgiveness, and he becomes the foundation of the church. We read about Thomas, a man who was, who was so busy in his life that he couldn't be with the disciples when Jesus showed up, and that left him with a week of pain and doubt, and he went from doubter on the other side of his resurrection with Jesus to missionary. Paul, his, the apostle who wrote a third of the Bible, he was a murderer. He was breathing out accusations. He was anger, angry and full of hatred toward other people. And he became a gentle, loving father of the Gentile church, which is you and me. It's the, the other half of the church, the Jews and then the Gentiles. There's us. That's what resurrection did for Paul. 
and it's not just men, thank God. It's women, too. If you read through the stories, there's Lydia, there's Junia, there's Phoebe. These are people who have been moved from the margins, and because of resurrection, they get moved to the center. They become leaders. They become pastors. They become generous. They become kind. They become loving. Story after story in the scripture, and it is repeated here in this church even today. And I just want you to think about your story for a minute. There was an episode of this TV series called The Chosen, which we watched together here at church. And if you haven't seen it, I would encourage you to watch it. But there's this woman named Mary Magdalene, and we're going to talk about her in a minute. She uh, followed Jesus for a number of years. And in the beginning of the story, she meets Jesus, and she is demon-possessed. She is filled with trauma. She is filled with triggers and anger and hatred and fear and, and literally, like, demonic oppression in her heart. And Jesus meets her, and, and in that moment, she is released and free. And the people around her saw this change in her. And she says this, this one person says, I need to know what happened to you. And she says, I, all I can say is that I was one way. And now I am completely different. And what happened in the middle was him. It was Jesus. So think about your own life. You were one way. And now you are completely different. And what happened in the middle was him. There are people all across this room who had unrepairable relationships, who had children who would hurt, were so hurt and so broken, and it was like experiencing a death. And because of the resurrection, they're beginning to experience forgiveness, healing, and hope. There are people that were in hopeless depression, ready to give up, and they discovered that somebody actually cared about them, and it wasn't just another human being, but God, too, cared about them. And now they walk on the other side, the other side of this resurrection, choosing to live. There are people in this room that were bound in jealousy, anger. They were stingy. They were anxious. They were fearful. And now they're free to live joyfully, generously, confident, and unafraid. This is the experience of resurrection. And it is available to each one of us. But the key is that we have to learn to watch for it. We have to look for resurrection. It doesn't just come up and smack us in the face. It's not, it's not like a big sign that points the way down the highway. It says, resurrection, turn left here, you know, drive down three miles toward Moscow, and then turn right, and then you will find it. It doesn't work that way. Resurrection is something that we have to be attentive for. We have to watch for it. Attentiveness is living with your eyes and ears wide open to what God is doing. It's looking for resurrection. And that's what we see in the story that we read this morning of Mary Magdalene, who was the first to the grave on the morning that Jesus rose. She showed up, and the tomb was open and empty. And she ran back to the apostles. She said, somebody has taken him. And they all run back to the grave, her with them. And she's run back and forth several times. She must have been some kind of athlete, I'm telling you. All this running around she's doing. And she gets there. The disciples look in. And what do they do? They turn around and run home. But Mary stays. Mary stays at that grave. She stays in the pain. She stays in the hurt. All of the disciples had their way of dealing with this death. Some of them, like the disciples, uh, was running away. Like right from the beginning when Jesus was arrested, most of them ran away. One of them, as we read the story last week, one of them, somebody even grabbed their robe as they were running, and so they ran away completely naked. I'm like, I don't remember that in the Bible. Is this even PG? I don't know. There's this naked man all of a sudden. And, and there's this, it's like this stripping of everything that, that they said they were, and now you see in this moment of fear that they're running, and they're really naked metaphorically as well as physically. Disciples are running away. 
You see disciples worrying. They're concerned about Jesus' death. That it would become their death, so they're hiding in fear. You see disciples rushing, rushing about, rushing to the grave, rushing away from the grave. You see disciples like Thomas getting busy. Got to get the business going again. Got to look for work. I don't have this... I don't have an income anymore now that Jesus is gone. i got to find something else to do. He's out there getting his business cards printed. Who knows? But Jesus shows up, resurrected to all the other disciples, and he's off at the printers. He, and he misses him. And so he has a whole week of his life that is lost to doubt and fear because he wasn't attentive and waiting. Oh, those silly disciples. If I was there, I'd have done it different, right? That's what you're all thinking. If I was there, I'd have done it differently. Last week, we looked, Heidi uh, did the sermon, and she shared with us this picture of an iceberg, right? It's a big, like an iceberg hill, and it's below the water and above the water. And she talked about the invitation of pain and death is to go below the waterline to the places that we're unfamiliar with because God is down there. God is inviting us through. But we stay up top and manage our lives. It's what our culture does. This is what we do. And this is what we would do if we were the disciples as Jesus died. Just find a way to manage the pain. Just find a way. We, we distract, right? Focus on something else or get other people to pay attention to some other part. You're in uh, this pain and turmoil of depression, and yet you're working really hard over here, and people are going, oh, hey, good job, and you can hide it. We minimize it. It's not that bad. My pain's not such a big deal. I mean, really, others have it much, much worse. I mean, just look at Ukraine. I mean, look what they're going through. Or we blame. It's not my fault that this is happening to me. Or it is my fault, and I'll just have to get over it. We find these ways of managing the pain, of distracting us, of staying busy, of worrying, of hustling, of hurrying, all instead of staying attentive in the midst of the pain. There's this guy named Gary Sitzer. He lives in Spokane, of all places. And he wrote a book a number of years ago called A Grace Disguised What's, what's unique about Gary is, I mean, this is a picture of him. He is just like me, just a white guy. I got a little more hair. Um, just this random white guy. But he and, he and his family were out for a drive in 1982, and he was at a stoplight. The light turned green. He went through the light, and a drunk driver came the other direction and hit his car. And in a moment, he lost his wife, his mother, and two of his daughters. And he sat asking himself for years after this accident, like, if I had sneezed at that light they'd all be alive. If I hadn't hurried my daughter and, and hustled her out of the house, they'd still be alive. If I had, if I had, if I had, of all of these things, and he was just trying to fight his way out, to find a reason, to find some way that things could change. And then he moved into all of these other methods that we use to try to keep, to distract ourselves from the pain instead of staying attentive to it distracting himself, minimizing it, blaming other people. And then he comes to this realization, and this is what he said, is the fastest way back to the light is not chasing the sunset, but it's turning around and running through the dark toward the sunrise, toward the new day that God is bringing. And that's what he did. That's what Mary did. She was the attentive one. I have a picture of Mary. I mean, it's 2,000 years old, so it's going to look a little weird. But here it is. It's a picture of Mary. There she is. So this is an icon of Mary, and icons we've talked about before, they're, they're like windows into heaven. They tell a story. Anybody notice anything weird about this picture? She's holding an egg. <laughs> and you guys wonder where Easter eggs come from, right? It's not bunny rabbits. So this is a story from tradition, a story from tradition. So that means it's kind of fable-ish. 
you know, that there's maybe some truth in it, but maybe not. And the story goes like this. After the resurrection of Jesus, Mary becomes extremely bold. She becomes the apostle to the apostles. And a lot of guys don't like that. And a lot of people that read the Bible a certain way get a little upset with that. But the reality is, is that Mary became a leader in the church. And she was the apostle to the apostles. And she was very bold. And she wound up before a Roman governor who was investigating this resurrection story. He's like, resurrection is impossible. It could never happen. And he says to her, it would be, it would be like finding a red egg. And Mary says, you mean like this one? And pulls a red egg out of her pocket. And that's the story. Now, the story, the, the egg is white, so you can tell that there's an egg there. But the point is, is that resurrection is like an Easter egg. It is impossible. It is crazy. It is, it is outlandish that it would even exist. Red eggs did not exist, and they didn't have egg dye. They didn't do those things at this period in history. And Mary it is just magically, or Holy Spirit-driven, pulls a red egg from her pocket to say, look, it, what is impossible to us is possible to God. But we have to look for it. We have to watch for it, like Easter egg hunting. We had Easter eggs all over this room, and the children were like little monsters waiting at the back. Did you guys see that? Like horns were growing and teeth were, and they were going to chew their way through the bars to get to the Easter eggs, and they wanted so desperately to find these little absurd gifts lying all around the room. That is what it is to be attentive for resurrection. We are on an Easter egg hunt in the midst of our pain. Mary, because she stayed attentive, even though she was weeping, even though she was broken, because she stayed in that place, she experienced resurrection life, and she was transformed by it. She was no longer an outsider. She was no longer just some woman. She was no longer possibly a former prostitute. She was no longer an unnamed, unknown person. She was an apostle. And that's not just giving her some special fancy church name like pastor or whatever. She was an ordinary person who was carrying a message of resurrection to the world around her. Resurrection is just like Easter eggs. They're something totally surprising. They're unexpected, even ridiculous. And they're just lying around for anyone paying attention long enough to find them. And Mary teaches us this. Being attentive is to live with your eyes wide open. Walking through the darkness, not chasing the light, but walking through the darkness to reach the sunlight of a new day. Biblically speaking, the way that we make that journey is just three quick things. First of all, it's naming what has died. Being honest about it. We like to cover over. We like to deny. We like to, to pretend it doesn't happen. In this story, we see an angel ask Mary and specifically give her a chance to name it. And she struggles to do it. He says, woman, why are you weeping? Who are you looking for? And it's a really strange question to ask somebody in a cemetery, isn't it? You ever go to a cemetery and you see somebody standing there, well, who are you looking for? I'm looking for my cousin. Or I'm looking for, you know, she's there specifically for this person that has just been buried. And he's inviting her to name her loss. Don't avoid it. Don't minimize it. Don't blame someone else. And Mary couldn't quite do it. It took more prompting. And then Jesus says to her, Mary, pay attention. <laughs> Mary, look up. Mary, open your eyes. Mary, stop running your trap and just look, look. And I'm here. I am risen. This is the experience of resurrection. So there's an invitation for each of us to name what is dead. What has died? What is this place where you desperately need resurrection? What is the open grave in your heart? 
Secondly, it's to wait in the awkward in between. And this is the worst because I have yet, I don't know, I've not met anybody. If somebody here in this room likes waiting, let me know. But I have never met a human that does. Nobody likes waiting, but we do it all the time. We're waiting for days off. We're waiting for our children. We're waiting for our spouses. We're waiting for our spouses and our children. We're waiting for an illness to end. We're waiting for the line at the grocery store. We wait, we wait, we wait, we wait, we wait, and we wait some more. When it comes to grief and loss, the only way through it is to wait. The only way back to the light is through the dark. And it's a confusing space between death and resurrection. Christians live in this crazy space between Jesus has risen and like him I will rise, but maybe not yet. Or I've experienced resurrection in one space, but I have all of these other places of death that are still waiting for resurrection. It is an awkward in-between, a confusing space that resists all earthly categories. And it resists our easy, quick solutions. And it goes totally against the grain of our culture and our idea of what it is to be blessed. The space between Good Friday, the death of Jesus, and Resurrection Sunday can feel like an eternity. And I imagine that those who love Jesus very much experience those days as we experience our waiting for resurrection. We just sit there and think, maybe this will never end. For Jesus, though, the space between death and resurrection was a Sabbath. Most of us don't realize this, but Jesus died on a Friday night at about 3 o'clock, and he was buried before sunset that night, which starts the Jewish Sabbath, a day of rest. No work, just rest. So he was buried at the beginning of the Sabbath, and he rose on Sunday morning at dawn, the end of the Jewish Sabbath. The time that was spent in that awkward in-between space was rest. And that is the invitation for you and I, to rest, to detach, and to listen. Lastly, we're invited to let the old birth the new. God is up to something in you right now. I don't know how far or how close you may feel to him. I don't know how big a death you may be experiencing or how much pain you're holding. How, I don't know where you're at, but I know that God is up to something in you. And he is birthing something new. It may feel like this tulips were coming up, but then it snowed again. And now the tulips are all flat. But God is up to something. It may feel like the, the trees were blossoming, but now all the buds have frozen and they're dead. And there seems to be no life. But God is up to something. He is up to something new in you. He is in the habit of resurrecting dead things and dead situations and dead relationships. This is what our God does. So you're invited to embrace the mystery. You don't know what that new thing God is, is going to do, but trust that he's doing it. Don't insist on controlling it, forcing it, expecting it to look like what you want it to look like or what it used to look like. Because if you do that, you will miss the resurrection and you will fail to recognize Jesus when he's standing you and he's staring you in the face, and he's saying, Doug, he's saying, John, he's saying, Casey, he's saying, Audrey, he's saying, your name. Revelation, in the book of Revelation, Jesus actually physically says to his people, behold, I am doing a new thing. And that is what God is doing in you, a new thing. So my question for us this morning as we draw this sermon time to an end 
which is what we like to do is we like to ask a question and let us think about it for a minute. It's actually two questions because I want you to think about your past and I want you to think about your future. So what is one way in which you've experienced some sort of resurrection, a relationship that was restored or renewed, a, a pain from the past that was healed, a, you know, it'd be anything. Everybody's, it's, it's as varied as, as our people in this room. So what is one way in which you've experienced resurrection in the past? And then what is one area where you're still waiting? What is one tomb that is still open? What is one body that is still rotting? What is one space that you need resurrection? Let's just sit with these questions for a moment before God, shall we? I pray that you continue to speak to us as you invite us into the new thing. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, I wanted to talk this morning as we, as we came to resurrection about death, but I want you to know on the other side of this, there's really good news. Jesus stays with us even when we are unattentive to him. You know, it doesn't matter how much you distract yourself. It doesn't matter how much you numb yourself. It doesn't matter how much you push the pain aside or void or blame or whatever. Jesus is attentive to you in the midst of your stuff. And hold on to that. Even when we're not attentive to him, Jesus is still working resurrection. He is still working resurrection. To Christians in this room, people who have followed Jesus for most of their lives or have, are on this journey toward Christ, I want to bring to you the scripture from Philippians 3.10. It says this, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection. Press on. Don't, don't just stay dead. Don't just, don't just get stuck in the place that you're at. Don't let the wall that you face be the end of your story. Press on. Hang in there. Face the dark because you will experience resurrection. We need to hold on to our resurrection stories because death isn't isolated to that one week a year. We got to hold on to those resurrection stories to remind us to press on to know Christ and the power of his resurrection. There will be times and days where you feel like you were buried nine feet deep and there is no escape and there is no getting out. Hold on. Pay attention. Resurrection is coming. To those who joined us this morning who are kind of Easter and Christmas Christians, you guys know who you are. It's okay. Don't avoid the dark. Don't, don't miss out on the rest of the story. Find a community of people to walk through the dark with you. 
That is the beauty of being in a church. It's not the religious part. It's the, the fact that we carry each other and we got each other's backs and we are here for one another. And this family is here for you if you so choose. But find a place to plug in as you walk through the dark. And lastly, for those of you who wouldn't claim to be a Christian of any kind, this is an opportunity for you. It's an offer of hope and new life. All of the pain, all of the trauma, all of the destruction that has been handed to you, all of the pain and trauma and destruction that you have caused to yourself and to others, all of it, it does not have to be the final answer or the last word. You can experience resurrected life. There is an ancient hymn, and it's recorded in the, in the scriptures, and there's this one line, and it says is that painful death has been swallowed up by triumphant life. And that's what it is to choose to follow Jesus. Because we follow Jesus not just through the hard stuff. We don't just follow Jesus through the, the nice stuff, not just the love your neighbor stuff, but we follow him through his death and into resurrected life. So I invite you this morning and encourage you, make that step in your heart and in your mind and join a community. And lastly, I want to close with repeating the anthem that we sang earlier. I'd like to invite the worship team to come up. We're going to sing one last song. We have time. Um, I'd like to close with the song King of Kings. And, but the ancient declaration that we do on Easter Sunday, come on up, worship team. <laughs> They're like, me? Now? Yes. Yes, you now. He is risen. He is risen indeed. It's a confession of belief that in the places of our death, in the places of our hurt, at our walls, the places where we don't feel God, places where we're lost and lonely, when we say he is risen, he is risen indeed, we are confessing that even though I don't see it, God is working it. It's, a, it's an anthem of hope for those of us who, who aren't seeing it at all. Like there's just this hope out there. I, it's so far away, but I can believe it because it's happened. Because Christ rose, I've been made like him, and like him, I will rise. So would you stand with me and let's, let's make that declaration. He is risen. 